This podcast contains some words and themes that may be offensive to some listeners and probably isn't suitable for little ears, or very sensitive ones. Naomai Hairamai and welcome to Full Disclosure, a Stuff and Kale Productions podcast with me, Karen O'Leary. In this series, I talk with all sorts of amazing and famous Kiwis to find out how coming out was for them. This week on Full Disclosure, I talked to young Māori activist and champion for the Takatāpui community, Kwek Pirihi. So I came out as gay in high school, and that was a, a decision that I wasn't able to make public in myself. I was, I was outed by someone very, very close to me, and so I wasn't given the opportunity to decide the when, the where, and the how that part of my story was told. Did they do it in a malicious way? Or? It must have. I assume it would have been something that just came out. Yeah. Ignore the pun. <laughs> yeah. My guest on Full Disclosure today is a truly inspiring young activist who is on a mission to save our planet and to prevent and end suicide within queer and takatapui communities. Big kia ora to Quack Purihi. How are you? Tēnā I'm doing. I'm doing very, very well. Very happy to be here. Oh, well, I'm very happy that you are here. So this is marvellous. <laughs> now, look, like I said, for someone who is only 20 years old, um, what you've already achieved is pretty amazing. You're an activist, a change mobiliser, a conversation warrior, advocate for suicide prevention within queer and takatapui communities. I mean, can you tell me a bit about how you became to be such a staunch advocate for things that you think matter? I think um, just out of fear, out of the realisation that we don't have any other option but to mobilise our communities. Mm. Uh, My dream job is to be a detailed car cleaner and get nice vacuums and have a million Dyson (laughs) vacuums in my house. Um, But when our community needs support, that's when when we turn up. Um, I don't think it's normal for rangatahi my age or younger to be engaged in such heavy, mm. heavy kaupapa, heavy projects, turning up to protests. Um, but with the state of the world that we're in, we have no choice but to act. And that's why I am where I am today. Well, I think that's full credit to you and also very, very lucky for, for the rainbow community. Um, just thinking, going back to the car cleaning that you want to do, um, do you think maybe you could do both of these things alongside each other? Like you could be an advocate and then you could also do a really good job of cleaning people's cars? I think, I think... It would be hard to weave those two projects into into a meaningful uh, work life balance. Yeah, uh, the notion of me wanting to be a detailed car cleaner is um, just so I can have fun all the time. I want to spend all day, every day, cleaning nice cars, cleaning really dirty cars, cleaning luxury cars. Um, but I don't even have time to do that. I barely have time to watch car cleaning videos on YouTube. Because um, I don't you want to do that, hey? I really do, but I don't want it to seem like that's the only thing I'm I'm infatuated with outside of God. Oh, look, car cleaning is cool, and I actually I'm I'm similarly to you. I I get stuck on watching lawn mowing videos. That's oh. my sort of go to thing, and I've always maybe as a result wanted to become a landscape lawn mower gardener person. Mm. Right, quick look, we could talk about lawns and car washing all day, but I'd rather talk to you about the reason that we're here today. Full disclosure, could you just tell me a little bit about your journey in terms of how you identify? Um, and how you got to the the place where you are now? Mm. Um, I'm a descendant of of Ngapui, Ngati Wai, Ngati Poro, Ngati Fatu, Kaipara. I grew up in in Pamua in Tamaki Makoto with my uh, single mum and my many other siblings. I'm one of seven. I'm the youngest, a cheeky little shit, and I have a twin. <laughs> yeah. I identify as a cheeky little shit in all the spaces that I go into. Um, <laughs> I'm here to make people uncomfortable, especially um, decision makers and rule makers. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my uh, the world of, of sexuality and, and gender expression, I identify as takatapui, um, and I use they didn't pronounce in te reo pākia, uh, but in te reo Māori, um, ko ia. We don't really have pronouns the same way we do in English. So when did you first um, realise that potentially as takatapui you were different to lots of other people? 
I think it was, so I came out as, as gay in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a a decision that I wasn't able to make public in myself. I was, I was outed by someone very, very close to me. Oh. And so I wasn't given the opportunity to decide the when, the where, and the how um, that part of my story was told. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the knowledge that I had about queer communities and my um, natural desire to fancy tane or masculine presenting people, I thought there was only two options, either being straight or, or, or gay. So I came out as gay. Um, and then over the past couple of years, after I've explored what queerness looks like for many people that I admire, whether it's uh, by Elizabeth Kirikire or Chloe Swarbrick mm-hmm. herself, yeah. um, or whether it's just rangatahi takatapui that have been exploring their, their gender and their sexuality on platforms like TikTok and Instagram, um, I've learned to find terms and and labels that fit the way that I see the world. Um, I've realized very, I've realized over the past couple of years that being a descendant of of the tribes that I come from and being Maori comes before anything else that is individualistic and special to me. Um, yeah. And so finding that balance between using labels, um, but also acknowledging my my whakapapa, whakapapa always coming first has been really, really interesting. But came out as takatapui and non-binary, I think, two years ago and started using the chosen name Quack um, about that time as well. Yeah. So just going back to when you said you were outed by someone that was close to you, mm. how did that make you feel and how was that experience for you? It it was challenging. I didn't, mm. this person remained in my life, remains in my life to this day. Um, and I didn't talk to them for, for three years, which was... Did um, they do it in a in a malicious way or was it just something that came out like when Mark Richardson outed Ryan Bridge? Yeah, it must have. I assume it would have been something that just came out. Um, yeah. I ignore the pun, um, <laughs> yeah. but I think it just would have come out. And yeah, over the over the following years, I just really struggled to forgive this person. This person wasn't um, accepting the damage they had done to, to mm. my life. And albeit in the moment, I was lucky to be surrounded by people that um, largely didn't Kale didn't mind or wasn't a huge, yep. a huge, I know there are many people in my life to today that still don't agree with my views that I have on the world in regards to uh, gender expression and sexuality. When we look at the context of the Maori and the impact colonization and the missionaries had on our people in a lot of different places around the Motu, Takatapui identities have been erased from carvings, from karakia, from waiata. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a part of me standing in te ao takatapui and my takatapui tanga has been, um, I guess, dusting off the the bullshit that has been placed by mm. those missionaries. Yeah. Um, and it's complicated, it's nuanced and hectic. Yes. And um, I imagine it is. Speaking of nuanced and hectic and people maybe not understanding, mm. say you were going to explain to, let's just choose a, a random guy that we might all know, Christopher Luxon, for instance. Say you're going to explain to him, not using a road sign, because you can't use two languages and road signs, that's, mm. that's outrageous. Mm. How would you explain Takatapui to, to Christopher Luxon? I think if I met Christopher Luxon, the first thing that I wanted to say probably wouldn't be about my Takatapui identity. Um, but if I had to explain it to him, it would be a um, Takatapui is, a, is an identity, is an expression, is a, is a way of viewing the world that is different and unique to as many people that identify as takatapui. My mm. interpretation of takatapui is different to my ancestors and will likely be different to the descendants that come long after I'm gone. 
um, my expression of pakatapui tanga exists in, in fluidity and being a tuna uh, that swims between yep. te ao tāne, te ao wahine. Um, my interpretation of, of takatapui allows for that, that, that sense of duality. And I know it's thrown around as a buzzword and when people use words like community and space and love and thought, um, sometimes it's really wishy-washy and we don't actually know what they're talking about. Um, but being able to swim between those two worlds, sometimes sit in between. Um, some days I wake up and want to present really masculine. Some days I wake up and want to present uh, really feminine. Yeah. Um, and that's just a lens that I see the world through. Well, I just want to just quickly tell you that when I, I did actually meet Christopher Luxon the other week. Um, and I just wanted to say, I, I really thought I made a good point when at one point he said, Karen, I just want to be straight up with you. And I said to Christopher Luxon, look, no, Chris, look, honestly, I know you're straight. That That is okay. Like you were born like that and there's nothing you can do about it or should do about it. Mm. And he had no idea how to respond to that. It was brilliant, hilarious, but they didn't put it on the TV, oh. but I've still got it. In my back pocket. It's probably coming. It's probably coming. Aren't we all? What? Oh, hang on. <laughs> well, not at the moment. <laughs> Gosh, Karen, this is terrible. Now, you founded Money Ani Waniwa earlier this year. Can you tell me a little bit about this organisation and the amazing work that you do through that organisation? Of course. So, Mana Ani Waniwa was built in response to violence that uh, lives within. Uh, Māori, Takatapui, and rainbow identifying communities, specifically looking at suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. It was an idea that I came up with earlier this year, I think, I want to say April. Um, and as part of me testing my different skills and growing my skills, I decided to write a funding application, which was the like, fifth one I had written, um, but the only one that I had written for Mana Ani Waniwa, and also a kaupapa called the Youth Movement Fund. Two weeks later, I realized I had been gifted the funding and I had won $120,000 over four right. years to deliver this project, which was huge news for me. I didn't know how tax worked. I didn't know whether it sits in my bank account or if I have to give it to yeah. another organization. Um, and so for the past couple of months, we've been unpacking what community engagement looks like and how we want to deliver this project. But in a nutshell, Mana'ani Waniwa seeks to liberate our whānau takatāpui and our rainbow communities through through wānanga, through being bringing communities together. Um, it seeks to complement the mahi of rainbow and takatapui-led organisations that already exist, the likes of Rainbow Youth and Outline and the Manalangi Project and Auckland Pride and Gender Minorities, Gender Dynamics, Aotearoa. Um, there's so much mahi being done in the queer community. Um, a lot of really great mahi. So thinking of money, Aniwaniwa, um, like obviously you've got the funding, that's fantastic. What do you see as the vision or the hope for this organisation? Envisioning a, an Aotearoa where our whānau takatāpui and our, and our rangatahi that I identify as queer are able to live freely, are able to grow up with takatāpui and, and queer being being second nature. Um, there are many different advo- avenues you could you could take mana ani waniwa down through through advocacy. They shouldn't have to grow up seeing their identities and their their lens of how they view the world being so heavily politicised. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to grow up where... Uh, I'd love to see rangatahi grow up where they're not um, overrepresented in, in negative uh, mental health statistics and, and educational outcomes and justice stats. Um, I'd love to see a a whānau takatāpui that varies among hapu iwi whānau where the role of, of being takatāpui varies just as every other mm. role does. Yeah. Um, I see it as, as a taonga, as, as something that deserves to be protected um, both through suicide prevention 
but also other avenues, the the motivation to be a takatapui artist, the motivation to be a takatapui mm. activist, a takatapui gardener are all very important and, and precious roles um, that all make up the wider te ao Māori ecology or the, or the way we view the world. Um, I see mana ani wanewa being a platform to to instigate that change through wānanga, through spaces that I find are comfortable with on the marae. Um, I see different cheeky little shits thinking that different cheeky little shit things happening out of mana ani wanewa, whether it be through the arts, whether it be through throwing big banners off the side of car parks, whether it be through helping to organise protest, um, whether it yeah. be through supporting different initiatives that, that aim to um, amplify or, 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 or create justice for our whānau Māori, whether it's homelessness, whether it's kai poverty, whether it's sexual violence and family violence prevention. Uh, there are so many spaces, thanks to colonisation, where we're able to instigate change and where we're able mm. to fight for better outcomes for whānau Māori. Um, and I see the mobilisation of our whānau takatāpui being important part of that mahi. I think that's fantastic. And also, I basically... Bottom line is, I feel like the world needs more cheeky little shits. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think everyone should be a cheeky, cheeky little yeah, shit. Yeah, they're, the, they're, they're the people that instigate change. Absolutely. That's why okay. we need. That's why we need the rangatahi at the forefront of all these movements. So, I mean, what inspired you to to form this organisation? Where did that come from? The motivation was initially for me to just see how good my funding application writing skills are. Um, it had been a dream or vision of mine to lead a kaupapa that delivers positive change through wānanga. I think the wānanga space is a very beautiful and delicate and, and sacred space to sit in. Um, mm. And I thought, I think it's the most appropriate space to to bring about change alongside protest and, and petition and collective decision-making, that really Māori, Māori way of instigating change. Yeah. Um, I've learnt a lot in wānanga. I've been challenged a lot in wānanga and I've been humbled a lot in wānanga by koumātua, by rangatahi that are the same age, rangatahi that are younger age. Um, the Wānanga space is a space to to learn and to to invite change and to invite challenge. I know there are rangatahi growing up today that are younger than me that won't have the same whakaro that I hold. And so wanting to use my platform, my access to resource, um, and my capacity to have wānanga with whānau. Um, mm. There are a lot of services that um, are at the bottom of the hill, metaphorically. Yeah. Um, I think of services like Rainbow Youth who help rangatahi, who are coming out, coming out of that journey, um, as well as organisations I outlined who are providing support to Rainbow and Takatapi, identifying people that need it. I wanted to be on top of the hill that is that is fixing the systemic issue of, of homophobia mm. or the impact colonisation had on Takatapi in our communities. Um, I also want to acknowledge that Rainbow Youth and Outline and organisations alike don't just sit at the bottom of the hill. They're also at the top instigating yeah. that change and just having a presence in itself is, is, is changing that systemic homophobia or transphobia or takatapui phobia um, and I'm very proud to stand alongside these organisations that seek to empower rangatahi specifically and empower amukupuna and atupuna takatapui. Um, we stand on the on the shoulders of giants and to me my giants are, are takatapui and they're covered in the tino rangatiratanga flag colours as well as the pride flag and that's the future I want my mukupuna to remember.
Today on Newsable, we go inside the courtroom where Erin Patterson pleaded not guilty to murder charges related to that infamous Beef Wellington lunch. Plus, why it's a good time to be a first home buyer and the diss battle between Kendrick Lamar and Drake. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think you're such an inspiring person who cares so much and is able to achieve this kind of stuff despite the fact that you're only 20 years old? What made you so amazing? I think there's there's layers to it. Um, I think there's layers of being a a masculine presenting person. Mm -hmm. I think there's layers to to being white passing or having fair skin that allows me access to these type of opportunities. How do you feel about that? I think it's there's been so much conversation about um, white passing Māori not feeling mildly enough, um, and I don't. Th- I think some of it is is nuanced. There's conversations about colorism that our community hasn't fully had, um, yeah. and I already think there's enough white passing Indigenous people that have had conversations about that. Um, so I don't want to take up any more airtime that that than I've already yeah. taken about about that. Uh, that court it or be masculine presenting is interesting, um, but I think I'm a very hardworking person. I'm very cheeky. I'm very out the gate, out the waka. My friends like to say. And yeah, I go hard for community and that's, I think, a quality I really like about myself. I think it's a quality that I like about you as well. Um, thinking of growing up with your, you said you're single, a single mum. When did you tell first tell her that you were, I guess, either gay or then tucked up? Mm, so my, I wasn't afforded the opportunity to do that myself. Mm. Um, news got back down to her and I think she sat right. me down in the, or we're just sitting around the lounge and she asked me if I had something to tell her. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Asked me if I was gay. I said, oh, I suppose, I guess. <laughs> but my mum was not a politically correct person. And I don't say that to justify anything she said. She said a, a many things that were out the gate. Mm. Um, she was still learning what trans or what um, pronouns were. Yeah. Um, didn't completely understand why I chose the chose name Quack. Um, and so there were a lot of out the gate things that she said. Um, I don't think she really cared too much. I think she wanted me to be happy. And when she passed away a couple of years after I came out, um, I think that's when I really stood in that, that notion of, of being quack, of being cheeky, mm. of being able to take off that like quarter way of pain that I had um, carried throughout my childhood, throughout my young adulthood, um, and really step into, into my being and being takatapi and being an activist and being a community worker and someone that wants to clean cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't forget the cleaning cars. I mean, when you were at school, for instance, what was the general kind of, because you are obviously a lot younger than me, and I remember back in when I was at high school in the 90s, I hope that things were quite different to as they are now. How did you feel in your school environment in terms of either feeling different or feeling not as accepted as others or, you know, just how, how was that time? I don't think, high school, high school was very interesting. I was, being a cheeky little shit, it meant that I was either really on the same, I was the like, really close with my teachers or my teachers just didn't have any time for me. Yeah. I would constantly lie and say I had assignments coming or I was going to hand it in an XYZ date. I never did. Yeah. I didn't finish NCA level two or level three. Um, I wouldn't call myself a star pupil. There were a lot of different things happening at home and in my own personal life, um, whether it be with drugs or with alcohol, mm-hmm. where I wasn't able to be fully present during those last couple of years of high school and, and then the final year after. Um, and so High school for me was just about surviving through any yeah. means necessary. I wasn't 
able to sit down and really think about the way I present myself to the world or, or who I love or who I go on dates with or what my mm-hmm. Tinder bio was at the time. Yeah. Um, I think it was just in a haze, in a haze with its adrenaline, with its my Tupana intervention. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, school was, school was interesting. I've really only come into being in the last couple of years when I've had time to really connect with my tinana um, and be able to sit and not need to be doing something, not needing to be distracted in order to block out all the noise. Yeah. And I guess and for you, how what are the differences in terms of how you feel as a person if you can be just your high school self with your now self? I think my high school self was uh, a cheeky shit, not in a good way. My high yeah. school self um, didn't have much respect or time for the people around me because I didn't believe that I was going to stay on this side of the world for much longer. Mm-hmm. I think I had emotionally tapped out of existing. And yeah. so um, the things that I did during high school, at high school, outside of high school, um, was just about keeping myself rolling, keeping myself moving and keeping myself alive. Um, so in comparison to now, I have a lot of, I've got a lot of sympathy for little Quack or Quaid. Um, I have a lot of sympathy for the things that they had to put up with as a child, as a, as a young adult. Um, and there, there are many things I would change if we could all go back in time, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, the key, I, I feel like a person. I feel alive. I feel connected yeah. to the body that I see in the mirror. And I'm proud, um, a lot more proud of my heritage now than I, now than I was uh, back then. Speaking of your now self, um, in terms of how you do identify and, and present yourself, do you do you still feel like you get hassled a lot as a result of you being who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I get people turn up to my whare, um with horrible notes. I get I remember mm-hmm. this one incident um, where someone left a photo of me as a child in my letterbox with human fluid on it. Um, oh. So really, really disgusting stuff alongside hate messages and hate emails and people emailing my work telling me that I'm an XYZ for being in the queer community. Um, but I think this is nothing new to being Māori. Mm. This is nothing new to being queer or takatāpui. Um, it's the world that we live in today. It's obviously not okay. It shouldn't happen to mea to mea. Um, but I suppose in order to survive in the, in the activism space and the community work space, I've, have a, I've had to desensitise myself to that mm. type of violence yeah. um, in order to to stay strong and, and do the work. I also think it's really important, really interesting when you add a layer of being Māori where in some Māori spaces, um, the missionaries and the impact of colonization hasn't allowed for me to be proudly takatāpui. Mm. I've been not metaphorically able to cross my legs in the way that makes me feel comfortable or able to wear the clothes that I wear um, because there's a bigger there's a biggest purpose here. And with my work in the climate activism space, we've got five five years, 200 and something days in order to take impactful action against the climate crisis. Um, and if it means mobilizing that community to take climate action over myself, feeling proud and happy to stand as takatāpui, um, then sometimes we have to make those judgments mm. and see what's more important. Yeah, because I know that you did go to Jamaica just recently with Greenpeace Aotearoa to protest against de- deep sea mining. I mean, how did you find that experience? Well, it's 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 not legal to be to be queer in Jamaica to be gay. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I think I was too focused on being an indigenous cheeky little shit in the actual international seabed authority and actual room where all the countries would meet. Yeah. Um, I know all these countries turned up in suits and ties and then us, which we call uh, civil society and the observers in the room. So all the climate organizations yeah. um, and non-government delegates. Um, so you weren't wearing in, a suit? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> I was wearing shorts. I was wearing Good. all my tanga. I think I actually yeah. wore this camouflage thing inside the building. Yeah. Um, and just being that uncomfortable presence in this space. Um, but yeah, and international space being activists is, is really interesting because there's a wider copa at stake. I wouldn't say that queer people should have to tone down mm. their presence or their mannerisms or the way they talk in order to do copa. It's just the way that I've personally found um, that I'm able to do as a masculine presenting person, yeah. especially if I'm wearing this camouflage hunter and fishing it's a lot safer for me to act straight or to not act queer. Um, do you think that's Do you think that's sad? That is the nature of how we still how society still exists. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think you should be able to dress however you want and and identify however you want. As long as you're not being a dick to someone else, what does it matter? Yeah. As long as you're not being a dick or. Um, Oh, there are so many political things I want to say, but it's say it's, them all. This is this <laughs> is the, the platform for that. Absolutely. It's it's. It's interesting because as much as I'd love to turn up to Mahi every day wearing shirts and crop tops and things that make me feel in touch with my femininity, mm. the the draining and the emotional labor that comes with having to justify why I'm wearing these yeah. things, having to explain pronouns to strangers every day in order for me to just be me is, is too tiring. Um, and we don't have enough time to be tired. We've got to mobilize our communities to take action against the climate crisis and the violence that we see in our communities. So when you're over in Jamaica, did you stop them from doing the deep sea mining? Did you get a result? So it's it's a, it's a deep sea mining hasn't officially started, and the International Seabed Authority, the body with the mandate to protect the um, natural resources of, of humankind in the deep sea, um, mm-hmm. is is quite cooked. And there's so much nuance and so many levels and so much mahi that different indigenous communities have given to the Copa of trying to stop, stop deep sea mining. Um, I know from a Māori perspective, protecting Te Moana Nuiaki with the Pacific Ocean is really important. Yeah. Um, but because of capacity issues and capability issues or barriers in our communities, like we're spending too much time fighting against a right-wing government, fighting against um, policies and, and laws that will disproportionately impact whānau Māori. Um, we're trying to fight against the blowing up of certain ministries and all that mm, type of yeah. all that type of bullshit. We don't really have time a lot of the time to take our mahi and take our communities to that international level in order to stop these really bad things from happening. Um, but I think uh, my presence was successful and I was able to convey the kaupapa and the reason um, I was there to my communities back home, which is what matters to me most. So in terms of the stigma that we know still exists in Aotearoa around the queer community, Takatapui, where do you think it comes from and how on earth can we actually fix it? I think it comes from generations in a, in a country that's foundation is built off keeping Māori out, keeping mm-hmm. Mahinia down, and keeping yeah. rich white men up. Um, I think it's wild that politicians today can question the legitimacy of Te Tiriti or Waitangi. Mm-hmm. I think it's even more wild that the people doing it are Māori. Oh, it's uh, even like, the, even if you yeah. look at when, when you know, the all of the transphobia that's come out through, you know, like one of the bigger issues that was talked about in, around the election was um, trans people being able to use toilets. It's like, why on earth is this the issue that matters the most to so many New Zealanders? Mm. 
I think because if we if we refuse to zoom out and actually look at the issues impacting our society, like homelessness, like violence, mm. like sexual yeah. violence, um, like suicide, like the the education system, the justice system, or the climate crisis, um, if we fail to zoom out and we stay hyperfixated on these really small issues that don't actually matter, then it's easier to to maintain the status quo and to maintain what's always worked for white people um, yeah. and for millionaires. So true. Yeah. I mean, I guess for you specifically speaking as a, as a young person, mm. what do you think the main issues or challenges are that young people face now in terms of specifically Takata Pui, but anyone in the rainbow community? I mean, I guess there's, the issues don't actually change. Like I know the issues that I faced still exist today, mm. but I guess as a young person, what do you think are the, the most pressing issues? I think belief, belief that we are capable of instigating change, that belief is taken away when we see disaster after disaster after natural disaster disproportionately impact the whānau Māori and our whānau takatāpui. Our belief is taken away when protests don't get heard at the top level. And I think one thing, the biggest thing that colonisation took away from us, and it's a, it's a very common notion in, in te Māori, is a belief to dream and the belief that we are, we're worthy of, of, of the good fight and achieving success because we've seen so many times um we just get ignored and disregarded and our rights and and liberties are, are put on referendums both literally and, and metaphorically as well I mean, it's not even just that you just get ignored as well it's that you get negatively discriminated against as a result of who you are yeah yeah absolutely Which and sucks. It, and it, it, it sucks and there's levels to it especially in uh te ao maori where where colonization brought this particular view about queer and rainbow identifying mm. people and the and the issue isn't always the the nanny or the auntie or the uncle that you're speaking to who has these certain views it's a system that upholds the views like we spoke about before yeah and it's complicated and that that very complicatedness or that very all that nuance can be enough to demotivate a rangatahi to want to get engaged in this mahi um and that's why we have no choice but to keep but to keep fighting um yeah because it's it's tiring, and I I question many times a week on whether this mahi is worth worth continuing. If I should just tap out and be a be a detailed car cleaner, as as fucked up as it sounds, I I would much rather not deal with the death threats and yeah. the complete pushback from white Pakia people who have a lot more money than I do to mobilize. How important do you think things like social media and those platforms are in the work that you're that you're doing? I, I wouldn't have the the opportunities or the or the or the co-papa that I'm a part of today if it wasn't for social media. I started a TikTok page during lockdown where I'd go for walks during the day and I'd find weird little things and I'd slowly, slowly try to use more te reo Māori where it didn't even grammatically make sense. Um, I didn't start it with the intention of being an activist or or community worker or whatever I am today. Um, I started it when I was still working at McDonald's. Da da da. Had that yeah. job for a couple of years. Um, and slowly over the past couple of years, where I've grown and leaned more into my hotutanga, my cheeky little shit, I've had a lot of good learnings. I've been cancelled a couple of times on TikTok where I've been put in my place and told that this isn't the way we engage with communities and that's not the type of future, uh, that's not the type of corridor that we should be mm. hosting on these platforms. Um, I think also the world of being cancelled is, is very interesting because it provides accountability in spaces where it seems you're able just to get a social media account and say whatever you want with with mm, no yeah. repercussions. Um, social media has allowed me to spread my my shared vision for Te Ao Takatapi, for Te Ao Māori. Um, it's, 
important that as rangatahi working in this activist or kaupapa space um, that we have tautoko from our community when we go out and share these messages. Um, and as I learn more how to be accountable community to community, how to represent um, the communities that I work with every day in a really positive way, social media has been a good learning tool um, for me. Very honoured and privileged to have the platform that I have. I think the best follower I've ever received is Tamaiti. I don't think there's a mm. better tautoko than having Tamaiti follow you and like your yeah. stuff and actually engage with your, your shit. Um, and I suppose in a, in a generation where they are getting many rangatahi growing up dis- disconnected from their culture, being able to have that support from different mm. rangatira yeah. has been really powerful and, and strengthened my confidence in engaging in kaupapa Māori spaces. Um, where home is, is two hours up north and sometimes really difficult to get to if you don't have a, I'm on, I'm on my Māori licence, um, <laughs> but if you don't have access to transport to travel back home, having access to people learning te reo Māori or, or sharing things about their culture has been really, really powerful. I don't think I would be where I am today if it wasn't for TikTok or for those harsh learnings that I've, that mm. I've made, as well as not just our whānau takatāpui, but I've, speaking, I've spoken to many rangatahi who are just proud to grow up in a world where queer legends are, are, are something that we can openly speak about, where people like yourself that are that are might not be cool and might not be Māori, but you've you've carved out a space for rangatahi to be authentic and to be looked at and be and be be proud to be a proud ancestor of all these rangatahi coming up. Um, it definitely wouldn't have been possible 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, and so I'm very proud of our whānau that are rainbow, our whānau that are takatāpui, Māori and Pākehā, who have helped every day to push that space. Let's flip to positivity now. What's the best thing about being takatāpui? I think I, I finding the rangatahi that have had access to mātauranga takatāpui, that, that grow up knowing what takatāpui is, mm. um, having access to to or, or or knowing people who have grown up knowing what these terms are where it hasn't yeah. plagued their the interpretation of sexuality and gender where it was just another normal thing to exist alongside um has been really powerful and really motivating i think the best thing about being takatapui is being able to embody different traditional stories pakiwaitara about our being, about where our ancestors come from, about the use of being takatapui, about what our roles were in society, um, about dreaming to to fight and to heal generations. Um, I think the best thing about being takatapui is being able to be in uh, love in a takatapui way, in a way that transcends um, labels or pronouns in mm-hmm. ways that in ways that make me view my partner as 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 a tanifa that I that I want to spend the rest of my life with. But I think takatapui love is really special, and really beautiful. Um, being a rangatahi who has survived the the world of growing up of growing up in a hero normative world, mm. getting to a stage where I'm able to not only be proud to be takatapui, but proud to be Māori, um, allows me to love in a much more deeper and meaningful way. Um, there's so many things, and I think it speaks to the notion that we don't have time to be positive all the time. We don't have time to celebrate yeah. all the time because we're busy out on the front lines. Um, so if I had more time to think and reflect, I'd probably come up with a more uh, more thought, well-thought answer. Um, I thought your answer was fantastic, Quick, and honestly, this conversation has been so insightful, so inspiring, and I think it's just also so important for people to hear. You're such a vibrant, amazing human and I just wish you so well. So thank you very much for your time.
Thank you for having me. Lovely to talk with you and meet you. That was the last episode of Season 2, Full Disclosure. If you've missed any episodes, you can find them all at www.stuff.co.nz forward slash full disclosure or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to creator and producer Kate Langdon, Stuff producer Jen Black, and executive producer Chris Reed, and audio editor John Ropiha, with original music by Eilish Wilson. Matiwa Aotearoa. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about that gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, that, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Actually, Nothing up in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.